Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 195. Top 10 countries based on their games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we're getting to that season. And the days are ticking down. PAX Unplugged is coming up. I know people are getting really pumped for Board Game Geeks convention. And obviously, the holiday shopping season is upon us where cardboard will be flying all over the place. So really excited about the next couple of weeks. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. I I feel like Thanksgiving is sneaking up on me so fast this month because of, I, I don't know. I don't know why. It just is. So, which means, of course, Black Friday, which, of course, means Cyber Monday, which, of course, means PAX, which is right after that. So I'm not at all prepared for this convention that is in three weeks uh, from when we're recording this but i'm excited for it that's that's for sure <laughs> you know what the best thing from listeners happens to be when they when they talk to us about picking up new games and they're always interested in buying new games but they're always concerned especially when it comes around convention season i'm talking to them and they're like so what are you thinking of doing aren't you going to come to the board game geek or aren't you going to come to pack some plugged and they're like and they're just like they don't say anything and i kind of look at them like what why why do you don't want to come to the convention they're like you know, is it the hotel cost? Is it the travel? You know, what, what, what is it? And they're like, I'm really worried if I go, I'll just buy too many games. And it's yeah. like, and they're totally serious about that. Like if it came into that situation where they were just presented with that many games, they don't think they would leave without just burning out their credit cards. So yeah, the things that you don't think about. It's a hundred percent what happens. I'm I'm with you guys. I'm I'm like I'm locking down this year. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I have literally heard that every year from Anthony. And, you know, he's just like a, a blur. He just disappears. He comes back. He's like, I thought you were going to go get one thing. He's like, yeah, but they had all the other things on sale. So, you know. Well, the good thing about PAX is that I always have very limited uh, space in my luggage coming back if I'm taking the train out. So I sure. think this year. Uh, by necessity, I will have to be careful because I will not be able to carry very much. Yeah, I'll have my car, so that's going to be really <laughs> dangerous. I'll be like, all right, Chris, I bought all these. You're shipping them to me, right? Awesome. Later. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't tell you yes for that because if I tell you yes, Don't then you're going to buy me. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of enabling going on. It should become the Board Gamers Enabling Podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, tell me how much money you have, and I will give you a list. Yeah, when you go to a convention, if you haven't been before, especially these big ones, I'm not talking about the conventions where you just game at tables. But when you go to a convention with a large, large vendor area, it really is a different thing altogether. It definitely reminds me of those kind of like, I guess those sitcoms or those kind of contests where you can run through a toy store and just buy anything. And it's just really one of those kind of wonderful types of environments. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great energy. And pretty much anything you could want tends to be there. And it just blows your mind. So be careful. Be absolutely careful when you come to these conventions. Because there's just a tremendous amount of great stuff there. All right, Anthony. So that's our enabling part of the episode. At least the first part of the episode. Let's get on to what our listeners are saying. What's our question of the week? All right. So I asked everybody, what game do you love that has a mechanic that you normally hate? So we all have like certain types of games we don't like. If you hear, oh, for me, it's trick taking almost always. And if, if or social deduction or party or anything like that, and I'm just like, I don't want to play it. There are some games that break that rule, though. And so I asked everybody what games break that rule for them. Chris mentioned One Night Ultimate Werewolf, and he generally dislikes social deduction. Drew said Memoir 44. Doesn't really like dice rolling when you can't mitigate it, but it likes that game. Uh, Elizabeth mentioned Shadows over Camelot, and she does not like co-ops in general. David said Seasons. Not a fan of card drafting, typically. Matt said Millennium Blades, and he normally doesn't like anything with a timed portion in the game, but it works perfectly in this game, he says. Cindy mentions Champions of Midgard, and uh, she normally does not like dice rolling to decide fate in general, but it seems thematic and more fun in this game. So definitely have to be there. And then Brian mentioned Blood Rage. He's not a big fan of dudes on a map, area control, but it really works well here. So like I said, I mentioned social deduction, just like Chris did. I also really generally don't like area control games. Really any game where if you have to spend energy and actions to put something on the map and someone else can remove it from the map, not a huge fan of that. So I also do like Blood Rage a lot, although it has a lot of other stuff that makes me like it. But the one game that really surprises me that I like so much is uh, Bunny Kingdom. And that's because it is all the things of an area control game, but there's no removing anything from the map. So it's it's almost more like Go, <laughs> like in terms of how you put things out. So I like how it kind of circumvents that issue that I have with that. What about you? Well, there's a couple of things. Obviously, you mentioned the social deduction games is always a little bit challenging. I do love Citadels because you're not really taking out other players. You're taking out their characters. And I guess especially probably the top ones would have to be co-op games. I generally like them, but they never seem to play well. Although Spirit Island and Defenders of the Realm happens to be probably in my top five, top ten. It's it's definitely up there. They just 
somehow incorporate individual play and cooperative play in the perfect balance where you're not dealing with an alpha player. And yet at the same time, you do need to work together. So it really has nailed that team building type of aspect without the team letting you down. Yeah, 100% agree on that. Like Spirit Island especially was like a game I actively avoided until someone talked me into playing it. And now it's one of my favorite games, period. Definitely. So for everybody out there, if there happens to be a game and we talk about mechanics all the time, recently just talked about dice drafting and you don't find a game great because of specific mechanic, definitely try out a different game that utilizes that mechanic because sometimes other designers just do it better. It's like cooking. You might not like broccoli one way, but you might find it another way that's absolutely amazing. So definitely check these games out. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. If anyone would like to let us know about mechanics that are just not working for them and what games they might want to check out that might be great for them for this holiday buying season, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We have our website where you can reach out to us, email us, ask us questions. Lots of ways to find us. A guild on Board Game Geek. Obviously, iTunes, Twitter, wherever you find Board Gamers Anonymous, YouTube. We are everywhere. Don't forget, there's always great articles and information on the website. And just like to hear back from you. Okay, Anthony, so now we're getting on to the games that we do want to hit the table, no matter what their mechanics happen to be. What's your acquisition disorders for this week? All right, so I got a, a message on Slack in our backer Slack uh, from Tim, who is the designer of Archmage, which I talked about a few weeks ago and then about a year ago as well. Great game, very cool mechanic where you're building up these different apprentices and then they face off and you get different spell cards based on the levels that you have and the types of magic that you're working through. Big old map that you're exploring. It's a lot of fun. But there's an expansion hitting Kickstarter next week and it's called Archmage Ascendant. So it adds a few new things. New spells, which is one of the things uh, I think I said earlier that I was like, I wish this game had more spells because that's one of the fun parts is kind of leveling up and getting to choose the spells at each level. There is new stuff going out on the map. So there's going to be new tiles based on the different races that are out on the map and the different colors of magic. There's a new deck of mission cards that you can kind of run through as you go through the game. So just another way to score, really. And then a new cooperative play variant for two people. Uses the solo variant and kind of builds it out a little bit. So now you have co-op for multiple people. So uh, I like the variability being added in. It's This is a great game, but you know, obviously anytime you add a little bit more stuff that you can do, a little bit more asymmetry, a little bit more variability to each game play run through, all the better. And for anybody who missed Archmage the first time through, hopefully they add all this stuff <laughs> from the, uh, the first Kickstarter too, so you can kind of get that base game, which is hard to find right now. So check that out on Kickstarter sometime next week, I think. And that's uh, Archmage Ascendant. Wow, I'm really glad to see that Archmage is coming out with an expansion. More stuff is always good. And I know for me, I can't wait to actually get this game to the table. And now, maybe with an expansion too. All right, Anthony. So I picked out a special acquisition disorder, especially for you. When I saw that this game popped up, I knew this would be a game that you would absolutely positively want to pick up. It is from our friends, and I know yours, Uwe Rosenberg, Patchwork Doodle. And Patchwork Doodle is a roll and write version of Patchwork. Gimme, gimme. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it, I thought that would do it, right? I don't have to really explain any more to the game, do I? No, 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 we're good. <laughs> Where do I get it? That's what I want to know. 
Yeah, I think they talked about it at Essen and there was some demos over there, but the game is not out yet. Hopefully it'll be out soon. And basically what you're looking at, if you haven't played Patchwork before, Patchwork is all about polyominoes and you have these polyominoes in a circle. And basically when it comes to your turn, you're going to take one of these pieces and fit it into your little patchwork grid of nine by nine. And what you really want to do is obviously score points and every spot you don't have, you're going to lose points. So that's basically very, very, very basic version of patchwork. It's definitely something you should get out and buy. I highly recommend that game. Great, great two player game. The app is excellent as well, but with this roll and write version of patchwork doodle, Basically, what you're going to do is kind of a little bit of the same. Instead of actually having the pieces out there, there are going to be polyomino cards out there. One card's going to be selected, and then you're going to have to draw that on your board. So really what you're trying to do is very similar, but actually without the pieces and a lot more art kind of skill and a little more strategy skill is kind of put into here. So this little rabbit's going to bounce around. You'll see what you end up with. You'll try to add it to your little layout there, trying to kind of cover up as much spots as possible on the board. And there are special actions in the board. So you can choose a different card if possible. You can also cut your polyomino up into two pieces, adding them to your grid. You can fill in a one-by-one -one spot, which is really, really important if you've ever played Patchwork before. That's essential. And you could do one of those actions a second time. So there are some special actions that kind of change the game up a little bit. Obviously, drawing in these shapes is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, it looks like something that probably is going to hit the table a lot. And I know Anthony's going to want to get to the table, and so am I. Yes. I'm, I didn't know this was coming. So this probably would have been my acquisition. He stole it. <laughs> I win. Stole <laughs> it. Ah. <laughs> I win all the acquisition disorders. <laughs> so there's one game that you'll be picking up at the next convention, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's small too, fit in my pocket. All right, Anthony. So that's our acquisition disorders and especially your acquisition disorder. Let's talk about the games that are hitting the table. All right. So we're going to let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them all costs, or if the games are the dreaded burn and those games don't even deserve to be part of your collection. All right, Anthony, so what do you have for us this week? All right, this is a game I've been waiting for eagerly since Origins when I first got a chance to try it, and that's Teotihuacan. This is the newest game from Daniel Tashini. He is one of the co-designers on... Zulk in the Mayan Calendar, Voyages of Marco Polo, Council of Four, three of my favorite games. And this is his newest. And it's been buzzed about for a while, I think has been floating around in playable format for most of 2018. But now it's finally hitting uh, US shores and we have a chance to pick it up and can tell you guys about it. So this is a, a game uh, very similar to Zulk in terms of theme. You are building a pyramid in the City of Gods. And the board is this massive modular piece that kind of represents that city. At first glance, it, it looks a little busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of li little different spots, but iconography wise and layout, it all makes sense. It all works very seamlessly together kind of once you get it all set up. Setup is a bit of a bear. And part of the reason for that is that it is a very modular game. There are eight different action spots on the board and you'll be moving around them kind of uh, in a Rondell style. 
And of those eight, six of them are modular. So you have these six boards and you're going to shuffle them up and place them out there. Each of those actions lets you do something different, which we'll get to in a second. The other things that are modular are your starting resources and placements on the track. There are special tiles. And then, of course, the actual pyramid pieces themselves, which is a big bag of plastic tiles with different symbols on them that you're going to be building that pyramid with. So a lot of stuff to lay out, a lot of stuff to set up, and lots and lots and lots of variability because of that. Now, in terms of mechanics, what you'll be doing is on your turn, you're going to take one of the dice. You have three to start the game. You can get a fourth at a certain point and you move it to one of those eight action boards. You can collect cocoa, which is like a resource you need to do various things. You'll need it to feed your workers or pay them or whatever the mechanic is in this. In between rounds, you'll need it to take actions if somebody else is already on the board that you're going to. So you want to have as much of this as you can, but obviously not too much because you're trying to be resource efficient here. You can worship. So there's a little spot on the side of the board which allows you to worship. This allows you to move up one of the temple tracks. These different temple tracks give you different bonuses depending on what you're doing. So one of them gives you points. One of them gives you cocoa. Another one gives you a resource of your choice. They also have like bonuses at the top if you get there. And there are special tiles you can pick up if you hit certain points. So lots of stuff on that side. The On the worship side, you can also pick up you know, one of the special tiles that's available there if you pay a little bit extra. These discovery tiles have all sorts of different bonuses. Sometimes you have extra abilities that you can take throughout the game. Sometimes they're one-time things. There's a huge stack of them that you're going to be drawing from. So there's a lot there to work with. Now, the meat and potatoes of this is the main action. You can't do collect cocoa or worship and then the main action, but occasionally you'll want to do those. Most of the time you'll be doing the main actions though. And how this works is depending on the number of dice you have on the spot, because you're going to be moving all of your dice around the rondelle and they can kind of coalesce and be in the same space together, you can take that action at a different level of power. So, for example, there's several that allow you to collect resources. So you can get stone or wood or gold. And if you have one die there, depending on the number on the die, you get a point of stone or two stone if you're on the stone one. If you have two, it's one stone, two stone, or three stone. And if you have three, it's two, three, or four, plus some points. So it matters how many dice are there. It matters what numbers are on those dice. The higher they are, the more powerful they are. The cool thing is when you take these actions, you then upgrade the die. So if you took a stone action with a two, you get your one stone, and then you upgrade that two to a three. Now you have a slightly more powerful die for your next action. If the die ever gets to a six, if you're at a five and it goes up to a six, it's going to basically retire. And when that, when you do that, you take it off the board, you reset it, you put it back on the, the starting board, and you get a bonus of some kind. Plus, you get to move up on the track of the dead, which is one of the tracks where that you're tracking here. So it's good to do that. But then also your dice reset. So you want to do it economically and not like jump the gun and get all your dice up to a six right away or up to fives right away and, and then knock them out. There's just a lot of things to keep in mind here in terms of how you want to do it, how you want to manage uh, the different resources. Some of the other cool stuff you can do with these different main actions. Uh, I mentioned the three resource spots. The palace is special in that if you take an action there, um, they're all worship spots. You lock your dice in, meaning you have to unlock them later by spending cocoa. Not ideal, but the, sometimes can be very powerful. The alchemy spot, uh, this one lets you uh, basically get a technology. So you spend a certain amount of gold and now you have 
a, some kind of bonus or a special ability you're going to get every time you take an action on a certain tile. So that's pretty good. The nobles tile allows you to uh, take houses off of the, the noble track, which the way that works, I'm not going to get all the nitty gritty details here. I'm going too deep in the rules already, but essentially you score points when you do that. And then the, the road of the dead becomes slightly less valuable for people who are on there. And then the really cool one, or the pair anyways, is construction and decorations. And this is where you lay out the tiles for the pyramid, or you add decorations to the pyramid. In both cases, you score a bunch of points, but you can also move up the temple tracks depending on which tiles you place and where. So lots of different cool stuff you can do. The game is three rounds. And the way the round tracker works is you have like a little eclipse marker that moves down for every time all three all the people take an action, but it can also move down extra if somebody retires a worker. So the game actually speeds up as you get along because the first round, you're probably going to take most of the 10 or 12 actions you have. But towards the end of the game, it's going to be going a lot quicker as people retire those workers. Teotihuacan is a very good game. I very much enjoyed it when I first played it back at Origins. And now that I've had a chance to play it more in full and kind of dig into it a little bit and play it with different player counts, I just, I love this game. There's so many possible actions, so many different things to keep track of. The variability is just off the charts. You're going to get different tiles, different layouts, different things to keep track of every single time you play, asymmetrical starting points. You know, some people started to be like, well, it makes sense that you really want to focus on the construction, you get a lot of points from that. But honestly, I've seen any single strategy work in, in trying to take this game home i really really enjoy this it has a very very solid um solo mode as well made by david turchi and you know he, we just talked about him not too long ago as the designer of dice settlers another game i really enjoyed and i think actually if you get this game it has a promo for dice settlers and vice versa so if you get them both you get promos for each other but yeah this is a fantastic game it is a little bit abstracted in a lot of things so it's very much a, you know a medium heavy euro if you are looking for a lot of theme, it's not necessarily here. I know some people compare it to Zolkin, but I don't think that's necessarily good to do because when you sit down to play it, you know, you're building the pyramid, yes, and you are working on the city, yes, and it is a South American, you know, civilization that you're working with. But other than that, this it's doesn't have a ton in common there. I mean, it does have some of those similar things that he has in a lot of his games in terms of like the starting powers and the way things are laid out, kind of the rondellish nature of things and how, you know, your workers uh, are kind of managed, but overall it's own beast and it's very, very good. So if you like euros, if you like any of the other games um, that I talked about there, really, if you like euros in general, you owe it to yourself to play this one. And I give it a, a very strong buy. So probably one of the best games I've played this year so far. Let's tear to walk in. All right, Anthony, you convinced me. Where's my copy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah they should have it at pax there you go so I'll, i'm helping you take home stuff now there you so. go so you would say could be your one of the candidates for best games of the year huh i think so yeah i mean it hasn't been like the strongest of all years either so like i'm trying to think of what games have jumped out at me is amazing this year and this one's right at the top of the list so yeah in terms of euros this is probably my favorite so far wow all right well, I'm going to bring some Ameritrash to the table now. I'm going to talk about a recent expansion that came out from Smash Up. Smash Ups, oops, you did it again. Definitely not a Euro game. Now, this expansion adds some really fun stuff to the Smash Up universe. If you haven't played Smash Up before, it's pretty easy. Smash Up is all about smashing up two different genres of decks. So, for example, 
in this expansion, Smash Up, Oops, You Did It Again, we are looking at cowboys, Vikings, samurai, and ancient Egyptians, or probably better to say mummies here in this game. And you are going to pick two different factions. You are going to shuffle those together or smash them up. And then you are going to play cards that are going to be either minions or actions. On your turn, you're going to play one of each. And based upon what the action allows you to do and what the minion allows you to do on a particular base, you may be able to play more or enact special abilities based upon that card's text. And on those specific bases, you are trying to reach a certain number in order to score points. Once it hits that number, it breaks. And based on whoever has the most points, second and third, they will score points based upon that base. Typically, those bases have a special ability that may now activate and or activate throughout the game. And whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. Pretty simple, right? Not too hard. So as I mentioned... This smash-up expansion, Oops, I Did It Again, has four new factions. Now, what's unique about these factions? Well, first off, Vikings are really cool because Vikings are all about bringing back great warriors from the dead. So it's all about Valhalla, right? Now, what's interesting about that is not only are you going to have some really kick-ass warriors yourself, but you're going to be able to go into other people's discard piles pick out one of their warriors and put that into play. So now it's not only about your great warriors, but it can be also about your opponent's great warriors as well. It's pretty sneaky there. Now, samurai are somewhat similar because samurai are all about honor. So they are going to be able to duel in the game, which you'll be able to match up with another card, another minion that's there. And based upon your power versus their power, and any additional tokens or special abilities, you may be able to knock them out. Now, if you don't knock them out and you lose, your character goes to your discard pile, but because they're samurai and all about honor, even if they lose in an honorable battle, you can score points or activate special abilities. So that works out really well. And talking about dueling, cowboys are all about duels. So they're gonna jump on a base, they're gonna challenge another minion to a duel, and their deck is all about buffing up their minions in order to take out the other characters. And that's basically how they work. And ancient Egyptians have a really cool mechanic because it's all about burying their dead. So a lot of their cards are going to be able to be buried under a base. Doesn't seem like a lot, but then a lot of other cards will be able to utilize the buried dead under there in order to get additional points, get additional power, or activate additional abilities. So it kind of has a lot of different play styles, and that's really what you want in Smash Up. You want to have a lot of different play styles, so when you put those decks together, or when you strategize what decks you're going to put together, it really offers a lot of different game styles. So Smash Up, oops, you did it again, gets a high play from me. These factions really do something different, and that's really what I want to see with Smash Up. Now, in addition to that... I have a new expansion, and just like the last episode, it's not just an expansion, it's a giant cardboard box. Now, this is Smash Up, the bigger geekier box. Now, I've already talked about the big geeky box. I own the big geeky box because I own a good chunk of Smash Up. I think I'm missing about two, maybe three of the expansions, but my big geeky box 
is probably close to about two-thirds full. The bigger, geekier box from Smash Up is gigantic. It is, I would say, probably about two-thirds bigger than the big geeky box. Now, what you get, first off, is a really solid quality box. It's thick. It's got all of the different faction characters on it, so it's light, it's colorful. It's a very thematic game, so it's nice having all the characters in the box. When you lift the really heavy cover, you're going to have a bottom box. It's also very heavy. Now, once you get inside, this is where it, it gets a little iffy here. On top, what you're going to see, first off, is a wonderful full-color rulebook. Now, this rulebook is great because it's going to allow you to get rid of your other rulebooks, at least up until this point, because it's going to include information not just on how to play the game, but also on any errata, any rule changes, anything that's changed since the initial expansions came up. So it's going to explain how the factions play, how to kind of mix them up together, different rules for play, and it's going to give you all the information you need in one giant book. That's excellent. It's a little big. It's a little clunky. I, you know, It's a little problematic when you're at the table, but it is nice to have everything all in one spot. I would have loved to seen some cards that just had information on the faction. So if someone's playing a particular faction and they're not 100% sure, you can kind of hand them a card and that would explain some specific rules. But that might be a conversation I need to have with AEG at a later point. Now, beyond that, going back to the box, what you're going to see once you lift this kind of heavy cover is there's going to be a little dinky, long kind of cardboard box. I don't know why it's there. I don't know what it's supposed to do specifically. It's basically there just for random things I'm thinking. The other two-thirds of that top box is this plastic tray with a plastic cover on top of it. This is meant to hold your tokens. It has multiple slots, I guess, so if you really wanted to kind of like line up your tokens, because typically each of the expansions for Smash Up has its own type of token. They're always going to be the same type of token. It has a little different art look to it, but it's kind of like a really chintzy plastic tray. And honestly, it doesn't utilize the space best to its ability. Now, there is two kind of like fabric handles. You're going to be able to pull off not just those two removable trays, but there is a big white cardboard tray that you can pull up. So if you want to get rid of those two things and just have that nice tray, you can do that. Below that is four sectioned off cardboard rectangles that are going to hold all your cards. Now, as I mentioned, this box is about two thirds, maybe, maybe a little bit less bigger than the original big geeky box. So this is going to hold everything and probably I would say an <laughs> another 10 or 12 expansions without a problem, even if they were sleeved, maybe even more. There hasn't been specific numbers as far as how many expansions this will hold, I guess, give or take based upon what quality sleeves you use. And if you're keeping every token, if you're keeping every book, but if you are a smash up fanatic and if you have collected all of the expansions, then I would say that the smash up, the bigger geekier box is something you should buy. If you have not, or don't intend to pick up every expansion, or you just like certain expansions and not like others, then I would recommend sticking with its original big geeky box. Now, 
there's one thing I want to mention, because if you haven't picked up the previous box, you may not know, there are plastic dividers with both boxes. So if you haven't picked up either box before and you're working out some way that you have on your own to kind of separate everything, you might want to pick up these boxes just for the dividers. The original Big Geeky box had the Geek Faction in it. If you pick up the bigger Geekier box, it also has the Geek Faction in addition to an all-star faction. Think of like Space Jam where it had all the different characters playing basketball. There's another expansion here. It's not that great, but it's nice to have. So that is Smash Up, the bigger, geekier box, and Smash Up, oops, you did it again. All right, Anthony, so those are the games that were hitting our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we thought we'd do something a little different, and we would honor the countries, and then specifically honor the games that thematically represent those great countries. Now, when you're playing Euro games or Amerithrash games, there are a lot of games out there that have been either based or named based upon those particular countries. And after a while, you play a lot of games out there. You're like, hey, you know what? Portugal has a lot of games. And I've just unintentionally learned a lot about geography about Portugal from playing all these different board games. Because you know what? Most of these games, whether they are war games or they're miniature games or the mythology games or their economic games, typically you're learning about cities, you're learning about their culture, you're learning about their different geographical, topographical, everything about their culture, everything about their livelihood. And, you know, it's a historical reenactment abstracted for your board game pleasure. So we are going to talk about the best countries because they have the best games and because it's America, man, we got to rank them as a top 10. All right, Anthony. So here we go with our Olympic games of board games out there, our top 10 list. So Anthony, why don't you start us off with our number 10 country and the great games. All right. Number 10 is Greece. And uh, we all know why Greece is up here on the list because of all of the games set in ancient Greece and mythology around that and everything else. If you look at the ranked list on BGG, we've got Santorini, we've got Command and Colors Ancients, which is considered by many to be the best edition of Command and Colors, Cyclades, Spartacus, Game of Blood and Treachery, Mythic Battles Pantheon, Elysium, uh, Mari Nostrum Empires, the Oracle of Delphi, and that's just the first page. So... Uh, Greece has a lot of fantastic games based on the mythology, the the ancient texts, uh, the Odyssey, everything that you think about when you think about ancient Greece. Lots and lots of cool stuff here. And that's why it's our number 10 country. Our number nine is China. Now, China has some outstanding games, probably some that you know. Tishu, In the Year of the Dragon, At the Gates of Luang, Zango, Lanterns, The Harvest Festival, Three Kingdoms Redux. And just so many great, interesting games out there that we can kind of go here for quite some time. I know Yellow Yangtze just recently came out, and that's hitting the table. So that's our number nine, China. All right, number eight, we have the granddaddy of all Euro games, uh, Germany. And of course, because so many games are produced in Germany, there are a lot of games about Germany. At the very top of the list, and Power Grid shows up for pretty much all of these countries, but of of all the countries, the original maps, you got to go with uh, Power Grid there for Germany, as well as Fields of Arl, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Hansa Teutonica, it's a classic, 
Demacher is like the grail game uh, for fans of German politics. Um, Glass Road, Ticket to Ride Marklin, Turn in Taxis, uh, Wallenstein, and so many more. I mean, there you could go forever. There are so many Euro games based on Germany, German history, farming in Germany. Lots and lots of fantastic games. All right, our number seven is... England, our Great Britain ally, has so many great games out here. Now, they're not just war games. There are a lot of great games that have been hitting the table recently. Of course, the hotness is always at the top of the list. So we're talking Brass Lancashire and Brass Birmingham. But there's also Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, Pillars of the Earth, Lancaster, London, Last Will, Mr. Jack, if you want to get, you know, a little interesting there, World Without End. Spirium, if you're going a little bit outside the mainstream, Churchill, 878 Vikings, Invasion of England is always a fun game, especially very, very historic. Scotland Yard is great. There's just so many great games there for England. All right. Number six on the list is the good old US of A. And if you look through this list, there's two common themes. You've got trains and you got politics. So... At the top of the list, we got Twilight Struggle. Power Grid is also here as well. You got the US map. Railways of the World, Ticket to Ride, 1830, a lot of the 18xx games. 1960, The Making of the President, 1775, Rebellion, Freedom, the Underground Railroad. And then we start to get into the third theme that shows up a lot in US games is Old West. So we have Carson City as well in there. Chicago Express, more 18xx games. You get the idea, but there's a lot of fantastic games, big heavy stuff, really looking at the at the history, especially that 19th century of the United States. Um, and if, if you like those big heavy games, especially if you like trains, this is a theme you're well acquainted with. All right, our number five is Portugal. Now, Portugal is a country that has amazing games representing it. And recently, I just recognize more and more of those games hitting the table. Obviously, you have the abstract classic Abzul. You have Pandemic Iberia. Lisboa is one of my favorite games. Goa. Vinos is out there. Navigador. Macau. Madeira. Just so many great games from Portugal. Coimbra is a game we just talked about last episode. Definitely check out some great games from Portugal. All righty. We have number four on the list is Japan. Now, Japan has... A ton of games. A lot of these you get through the first page, you get to the second, you start picking and choosing a little bit. This one, two, three pages, tons of great stuff. In particular, designers are obsessed with that samurai era. We've got at the top of the list, Rising Sun. We've got Shogun. We've got Sekigahara, the unification of Japan. Samurai, Onitama. But also in there, we have some more modern takes. We have Yokohama, which is more about business in the 19th century. We have Takenoko, which is about pandas and raising them <laughs> very very soft and gentle uh, nippon is another business oriented one and then of course we have the sci-fi classic king of tokyo a few other games about japan that uh, personally are, are i'm a fan of with yido uh yamatai which is a little more fantasy trains and tracing trains rising sun takaido hanabi tons of games set in japan both in terms of mythology and a little bit more fantastical and historical kind of an even mix so that's why it's number four on our list, Japan. Our number three is Italy. Now, Italy has some fantastic games. And just to roll off a couple here, Viticulture's Essential Edition, The Princes of Florence, Medici, San Marco, The Palaces of Carrera, Signore, 
Just so many great games from Italy. Things that typically you wouldn't think of. Firenze is out there. Rialto's out there. Murano. Burano's out there. Firenze's out there. There's just so many great Italian designers and great games made about Italy. Okay, number two is France. The top of this list has two or three games from my top 10, so that'll do it. We have the Castles of Burgundy. Uh, we have Orleans. We have Le Havre. Calis, Troyes, uh, Oro Labora, Carcassonne, that one's set in France, Notre Dame, Here I Stand, uh, which is a big old heavy one, lots of just fantastic games, and then some less lesser known games that are also just really good, Legacy, The Testament of Duke de Crecy, uh, Strasbourg, Fief, France 1429, so it's a very rich historical pool to draw from looking at, you know, French history, but also just lots of interesting locations uh, that Euro has been based around. That's why it's our number two. And our number one country for the best themed games is Egypt. Now, Egypt has some fantastic games. Typically, these are more of the classic games. Either it goes back into its mythology or modern day construction of the pyramids. Just so many amazing games here. You have Kemet, one of the top hybrid games out there. You have Ra. You have Amun Ray, even more of a family kind of game with Emotep. You have Camel Up for the kids. You have Thieves. You have Valley of the Kings for those people who love deck builders. There's just so many wonderful games and all the different types of mechanics. If you love dice, Favor of the Pharaoh might be something that's perfect for you. Just an outstanding country with some outstanding games representing it. All right, everyone. Those are our top 10 countries based on their games. We hope you enjoyed this list and check out some different and interesting games from some fabulous countries that explore their deep history, mythology, geography, politics, and culture. So that's everything for this week, but not the end for BGA. We hope that you love this episode, but we want to let you know there's some absolutely great episodes waiting for you at our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash BGA. Please join Team BGA and help us get some brand new episodes out for you. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.